You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 30th. Later today, Atlanta United will host Toronto in the MLS Eastern Conference Finals at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The game will be on FS1. You can hear it on 92.9 FM, or you can follow my live coverage, which is a little bit faster than both of those, at Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. While we wait on that game to start, and as I sit here and watch the rain from my home in Carrollton, Georgia, I thought I would talk a little bit about the NWSL and the pros and cons of Atlanta's, via Atlanta United's, possible entry into the first division of women's soccer in the country. There was a report earlier this summer that Atlanta United uh, reps were investigating the possibility of an NWSL franchise. Uh, I was told later by someone on background, they didn't want their name used in the story, that that wasn't accurate. Um, but then uh, Grant Wall, Sunday night, uh, came out with a nugget within a larger notebook uh, around the time of the NWSL finals that Atlanta United was looking at a franchise, that it was waiting on some information from U.S. Soccer and that it could enter into the market as early as 2021. Uh, the story has uh, done very well on AJC.com in terms of page views, so to me that represents interest. It may not be interest centered exclusively in Atlanta. It may be those people who are supporters of the nine NWSL teams around the country. But I thought I'd talk a little bit about what I think about the franchise, a possible franchise in the league. I shared some of these thoughts with Jason Longshore and John Nelson on their wonderful uh, daily radio show, Soccer Down Here, which you can find on Spreaker, among other places. Here are the pros for me of an NWSL franchise in Atlanta. The city obviously has a thirst and passion for soccer. Atlanta United, playing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, has led MLS in attendance each of the past three seasons. It owns something like nine of the ten most attended games in league history. It owns the top attended game in U.S. Open Cup history. It owns the top attended game in MLS playoff history. It owns the record for MLS All-Star game attendance, among many things that are a gauge of a the interest in a team in a city. So you got that 
on the plus side for them. Now, on the negative side of that, an Atlanta entry into NWSL obviously, or likely I should say, would not play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium because the attendance would not probably be good enough. Um, the stadium, the lower bowl seats around 40,000. But the per-game average of attendance in NWSL in 2019 was 7,337. Uh, even if Atlanta United were to double that, which is basically what they did with average attendance in MLS, it's still not likely enough to warrant the cost of opening Mercedes-Benz Stadium on game days. Now, if they could configure a way to open only a portion of the lower bowl, that might make a little more sense uh, to host an NWSL team. But there's still so many factors that go into opening Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm not going to get into all of them, but I think you can imagine the cost of trying to open a 70,000-seat stadium with security, concessions, vendors, those who work outside, parking, all those things become factors. So then you start looking at, well, where else could the NWSL franchise play? Kennesaw State comes to mind. But Atlanta United 2, Atlanta United's team in the USL, already plays at Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State has a very, very good football team. Eventually, those dates disappear, and there's just not enough for the NWSL. At Mercedes-Benz Stadium, there are other events that come into that stadium that aren't just Atlanta United or the Falcons, which is why, for example, Atlanta United had to uh, move its home games in the Champions League from Mercedes-Benz to Kennesaw State in February because there was already uh, what's called a a lifetime event locked in that goes all the way back to, I think, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, uh, then to the Georgia Dome, then to Mercedes-Benz Stadium that forced Atlanta United to move those home games away. You look at Georgia State. That is not a possibility either because its lines are sewn onto its, its football lines are sewn onto its turf. Georgia Tech's field isn't wide enough. Uh, so to have a home for an NWSL franchise, which I guess could also be the home of Atlanta United 2, would likely need a new facility. Atlanta United does have a very small bowl facility at its training ground in Marietta. It seats, I think, around 2,500, but obviously you'd want more capacity for that with an NWSL average attendance of 7,337. I don't know what USL average attendance was. I can look that up, but I imagine it's probably around the same as the NWSL. <clears throat> to, to expand that particular facility at the training ground, you would likely have to wipe out one of the fields to put bleachers on the other side. There's the issue of parking. Atlanta United did buy around 17 acres adjacent to the 30-something acres that its training ground sits on. You could put parking over there. You could put administrative offices over there uh, to handle uh, a women's team and even some of the USL team. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that would have to be built, and, and it costs money. Uh, and it costs money in a league that I don't think teams are making money yet on. There are many MLS teams that are still reportedly not making money. Uh, and NBSL TV ratings uh, aren't even close to MLS ratings, which aren't even close to many of the other big pro sports franchises, and that's where a lot of revenue comes from. So there's those factors. Atlanta has a history of women's professional soccer. I don't think that history, you know, which includes many folding franchises, should be held against 
the possibility of starting an NWSL franchise because it's obviously different ownership groups, uh, different uh, support structures, different capabilities, different aspirations uh, than those that came before, which include the Atlanta Bead and the Silverbacks and, and some other teams. Um, so you got that uh, as a factor. You know, I worry a little bit about the long-term health of the NWSL. Uh, more and more clubs in Europe, in Mexico, some in South America, are starting women's professional soccer teams. Many of those clubs have infrastructures and support structures that are much better than most MLS teams already. So if you're an aspiring young uh, woman who plays soccer in the United States, and you have a chance to sign for Real Madrid's women's team, for example, would you want to go there or would you want to go to one of the other smaller non-MLS-affiliated teams in the NWSL? Uh, The choice is obvious. And, you know, more and more clubs in Europe are doing this, and it's going to become uh, as a a competitive situation for the NWSL that it may not be able to solve. It might just be impossible. Obviously, staying home in the United States around friends and family is a big draw, but I don't know if too many players anywhere in the world that don't dream of playing soccer in Europe as men, I got to think the same is true for women. I mean, the possibility of playing at Old Trafford or at the Etihad, it's, you know, that's an allure that is hard to turn down. Um, The other thing that is curious to me about this is Grant Wall reported the team could start as early as 2021. For those who don't have a long history with Arthur Blank and soccer in the city, his original interest in Major League Soccer started in the early, early 2000s. It took until 2014 for him to decide to pull the trigger. Now, obviously, a timeline for NWSL could be expedited because Atlanta United does already have some infrastructure in place that could oversee the running of an NWSL franchise. Um, it has training grounds, for example. It does have Mercedes-Benz Stadium, should they decide that's where they want to play some of their games, for example, which weren't there before for an MLS team. But from what I know of Mr. Blank, he doesn't do anything without a lot of due diligence. He doesn't do anything without deep deep thought. And so it would strike me as slightly out of character if he were to go ahead through AMB Sports and Entertainment, which I believe would be the corporation or business that would own the NWSL franchise, to go ahead and pull the trigger on starting an NWSL franchise. It seems awfully quick. It seems there are so many questions still in the air about all the things that I've covered, uh, including the health of the league and the future of the league that starting in 2021 would stun me. Anyway, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on an NWSL franchise in Atlanta. I would love to hear more than just the emotional, oh, it will do great. Uh, I would like some reasons. Tell me why. Give me some facts. Uh, If you feel like sharing them with me, you can email them to me at d-r-o-b-e-r-s-o-n at ajc.com. If you're on Twitter, you can try to message them to me. Uh, again, at Doug Robertson AJC. Anyway, I, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen going forward. And as always, you can follow my coverage of Atlanta United 
uh, on at for the Atlantic Journal Constitution. You can follow me on Twitter. I've already given my handle twice on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal Constitution for not only my coverage of Atlanta United, but for our coverage of all of Atlanta's pro sports teams, including the Hawks with Sarah, the Braves with Gabe, Georgia with Chip, Georgia Tech with Ken, uh, our guys who write columns such as Mark Bradley and Michael Cunningham, uh, and the great Steve Hummer, one of the finest sports writers in the world, whose takes are always fun and fresh and informative. All right. Oh, and the Falcons. Thank you very much. Good day. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.